stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. We one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hey there, listener. Thanks for stopping by. Before we get the podcast started today, I just wanted to tell you about my Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and donating some money, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash K-I-P-P-O-D. And there's three separate tiers there where you can get exclusive content, ad-free content, and you can even suggest questions for me to ask future guests on the podcast. So guys, make sure to check out my Patreon. Also, make sure to share this podcast on your social media accounts, link it to Spotify, review it on Apple. I would very much appreciate that. So thanks, guys, and enjoy the episode. (laughs) All right, here we go. Hello and welcome to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett, and today we have another special guest because all my guests are special. His name is Benjamin Blackett, and I met him through a business networking group in Rhode Island, and uh, he is another local business owner, Life Mastery Consultant, which is probably the I don't know, greatest thing I've heard in like, just a, like a subtitle for a business is pretty awesome. So, uh, Benjamin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? And so, uh, as, as he said, Max, thank you for inviting me to be here. I'm honored and privileged to be here with you. I feel like congratulations on doing your podcast. That's, that's an awesome venture. It's something I might have to look into doing myself, but I haven't yet, and I've got way too many other things on the plate anyhow. So, yes, I am a life mastery consultant, which means essentially I help people pull their dreams into their lives. That's what my business is about. Um, and I have been doing that for what I've been doing for about four and a half years now. Pretty cool. So you want to tell us a little bit about just like your, you know, personal background, if you feel like sharing, you know, you know, where you came from, you know, what you've been doing and sort of like that. Sure. So, uh, so, well, the thing I always start with is, you know, the, what, what it took to get to be a life coach. Because, because, you know, when I started being a life coach, I actually had been working in a boatyard. I was working in a boatyard in Jamestown. You know Jamestown, yeah, right? Yeah. So facing Narragansett Bay, facing Newport, Fort Adams out across the bay. It was the uh, seventh winter in a row that I had worked there. And it was, I know it was a Thursday because it was the fourth day in a row where we had this five degrees, negative 35 wind chill factor coming down out of the northeast, you know, that wind blowing right off the bay. Oh, my God. It's cold. (laughs) (laughs) That is a cold day. It's true. No matter how you slice it, that's a cold day. And, you know, I had just rolled my tools out to start work for the day. I had put my tools up onto this boat that was covered with plastic, and I had a little space heater that was, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm audio. I can't show you. So. Yeah. Well, there's a we're taping it too. So. Oh, we're taping too. Yes. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so it was a little, you know, six inch anyhow, uh, uh, space heater, and um, that's just not that much, even covered in plastic. Yeah. When you got 35 mile an hour winds. Yeah. I was like, what am I doing here? I had just spent the previous three nights in a row, like I got home from work, five thirty, six o'clock, and I literally fell onto my bed and I slept through till it was time to get up and do it the next morning. Yeah. 
I was like, I cannot keep doing this. This is not a full, rich life that I would like to live. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not getting time to socialize. I'm not getting time to travel. I'm not getting time to... I was feeling, like, dejected. I was feeling... I would say even hopeless. I was like, what is going on? So the thing is, though, that underneath that, I had been calling myself a life coach for years, and the fact is is that, um, in truth, I had been helping people all along, doing really well at, you know, improving their lives. I just Mm -hmm. couldn't, like, if you had asked me what kind of system I was using or how I was helping people make their lives better, I couldn't have told you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I couldn't have pinpointed and said, well, this is exactly what I'm doing. But it was that moment in the boatyard where I was like, I have got to do something to make myself a viable business of being a life coach. And I ended up, um, I ended up having some things fall into my life where I found my men, my current mentor, who is Mary Morrissey, who, whose programs essentially I teach, uh, and you know, I found out that first of all, I, I ended up taking a class with her through a spiritual center up in Warwick. And, um, I, in that I, I was like, I was four days, five, not four days, four or five classes into the work. And I was like, I'm going to teach this because this makes perfect sense. And it explains everything I've been doing. I'm like, Oh, I get it. And, uh, so so I then found out that there was a way to train with her and I didn't know she, I didn't even know she offered that but it was you know I went through some grueling stuff like it was I had to find the time I had to find the money I had to put in the hours doing the work and and as I was applying these principles that I teach like all of that came into place so that I could do that like it it happened because I was putting my under, under started understanding about the fact that what I think about produces itself in my life which is really one of the most powerful things that anybody can know Mm -hmm. if you want my opinion yeah yeah very cool so i guess another thing is could could you explain like your business model i guess in a sense like uh you know you say life mastery consultant or a life coach like what what does that involve in a sense so so uh so for me what i work on doing is helping people get from point A to point B. I help them. Uh, and for a lot of people, they come to me and they, they don't necessarily know what their dreams are sometimes. I mean, a lot of us, we, we keep these dreams out there where we can't quite get to them. We say, oh, I want to do this someday maybe, or, you know, I would love to do that. But we think, oh, well, I can't really do that. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I and we put all these things in front of ourselves for reasons that we can't. Uh, I like to call it, you know, we think we we have these causes why we can't, but we're smarter than that. We call them our B causes. We say, I can't because I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough education. I don't have, you know, the kids aren't in school. The kids are in school. The kids aren't out of school. The, you know, I'm married. I'm not married. Uh, you know, <laughs> I have to wait till I retire. Like whatever we put in the, in the, way but the thing is I end up taking you know I help people understand that there is a vision first of all that they do have and that they can pull it into their lives they can actually live it now they can start living it when they start stepping into it and um, for me that involves if somebody wants to work with me I I can't take anybody in for less than 90 days I have to have 90 days where we can start working with some principles and start teaching them some tools to to get them to move forward. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Because 
uh, you know, during our BNI meetings, you, you come up with some very cool stuff every week and sometimes some great testimonials um, from people. And I think, what was it, last week or a week before somebody had had uh, visited for you or last week yes. last week mm-hmm. yeah and she she couldn't say couldn't say more great things about you and the work you've done so um yeah i mean she was a little quiet first but she was able to talk and uh said some great things about you uh so i guess sort of what entails uh with sort of reaching your goals um what do you think is the, the main thing other than, you know, saying I can't do it or, you know, especially in today's society for a lot of kids. I, I, I like to stay on this topic, but I've been talking about the value of a college education mm-hmm. and what that means in the real world. And should I get one or just should somebody get one in general? Um, and is it really useful for modern day society uh, and really a world especially that i've grown up in where uh you've been told your whole life you need to get one you need to get one there's Mm -hmm. no way around Mm it Mm -hmm. um so sort of how you're talking about reaching your goals do you think that a college degree is necessary in reaching your goals in life i know it's sort of different for everybody but just in general i know it's sort of a loaded question that is a loaded question. It's a good question, though, and it really it depends on the person. It depends on what their passion is. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, one of the things, because sometimes yes, sometimes no. And as a matter of fact, as you mentioned that, it happens that the person who came in to substitute for me last week, one of her great achievements right now is that she's getting her bachelor's degree, like which was something that seemed out of, out of sight and unreasonable for her at the time. Mm-hmm. But her getting a bachelor's degree is appropriate to what she wants to do, like mm-hmm. where she wants to go and the things that she wants to do. Um, but, you know, I mean, I you're a great example to me, Max. As a matter of fact, I really admire what you do because you've got this 3D printing business, like, and it's brilliant. And you've Thank got you. great energy for it. Like, Thanks. I and you're innovative and you've got a pet, like, to me, people who have passion for what they want to do they're going to go far so thank you so you know if you've got a passion for something not necessarily you know if you've got a passion you're driven i mean if actually you know and you ask that question you know uh, when i'm speaking when i give talks i you know i go in and i give talks places and whatnot i quote people like thomas edison thomas edison didn't get out beyond third grade and I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> he know didn't that. get yeah in third grade. They said you're too you you're not intelligent enough. You should go, you should go see what you can do to get along socially with people because you're just not that bright. And he was one of the he is probably the most innovator of our innovative inventors of our times. Yeah. And when you think about the fact that we didn't even have electric light before Thomas Edison, mm-hmm. like he had this idea, he had this idea, he had this passion that he was going to bring electric light to the world to, to free us from the need of oil and wood yeah, for burning, like for light after dark, because that was all we had. And yes, he went through 10,000 failures in order to get there, but he did it. And through the process, I mean, he he's the reason that we, you know, he, we had recorded sound. I mean, that we even have, the, I mean, in essence this is a far advanced from what he started but you know he started with those uh i went to going to his going to see his uh workshop 
It's uh, where he did his inventing. It's been taken apart and recreated in the, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, shoot. I can't remember the name of the town. Henry Ford built a museum out in uh, Dearborn, Michigan. Yeah. To Henry Ford. I don't know if yeah. you've ever heard of, been to, whatever. But it's all about, you know, the history from the early 1900s till now and American innovation. Mm -hmm. And he built, I think it's El Edison, no, Ellington. I can't remember. I don't, I, I don't know. There's a little village he built. He got the museum done and then he built a village. And in that village, he did things like he took apart Thomas Edison's workshop both the ones, actually both of them, the one in uh, in New Jersey and also the one from Fort Myers, Florida, and he took them apart board by board, nail by nail, and put them back exactly as they came apart in this village. He also did that with the Wright Brothers uh, bicycle shop and the Wright Brothers home and the original courthouse that Abraham Lincoln practiced law in mm -hmm. and Daniel Webster's house, uh, you know, for Webster Dictionary and... So it's a, it's an amazing place to go and stand in yeah. the like you know in the in the energy of that kind of creation and Henry Ford himself you know we think of Ford Motor Company and like how that made cars available to everybody and mm -hmm. Henry Ford you know he had three factory three different factory yeah. businesses before that he created the that. assembly line essentially is what he did and he had yeah. three different businesses that failed before he got to making the the Ford and so yeah. at fifty three years old is when he started the Ford Motor Plant. And mm -hmm. that's like, that, you know, that, so that speaks volumes. I don't know. Do you need a college education? He didn't have a college education either. But he had a mastermind that he hung out with, Thomas Edison. Yeah. Was in his mas mastermind. So Yeah. What do you think about uh, Tesla, that guy? Um, what was this for? Nikola Tesla? Yes. Do you, do you have any opinions on him? Because a lot of people say that he was better than Thomas Edison. Well, you know... I don't know as much about Nikola Tesla, and the basic reason I don't is because I, you know, in my studies and what I study is because I study what I, what a person can do with their mind. Yeah. And the kind of power we have for creation. I mean, and, and, I, and I often refer to Thomas Edison and Henry Ford because that's what, who I was taught, you know, well, look at these examples and this is how. And, you know, Henry Ford has a quote, that I use all the time too. He says, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're correct. Hmm. Yeah. Whichever one you think is right is right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So actually I wanted to pick your brain about, um, I don't know if I told you this yet, but I, I've thought of like this quote that I sort of had, has came to my mind. I don't know if somebody else said it, but it, it's something that I'm, I think I, I want to base my life off of from, you know, going on, henceforth is in patience is a virtue right everybody knows that quote patience is a virtue mm -hmm. but the ability to know when to be patient is even more important because life's too short to always be patient that's true too and i i'm not familiar do you know where that quote no came from? i just thought of it i don't know just thought of it just yeah. came to your mind just now yeah well, not like right now, but like a couple of days ago. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, well, yeah. 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 But in essence, just came to you. Yeah. So um, here's the thing that I, you know, that, that comes to my mind, particularly when I'm working with people. There's, you know, the fact is that what we live in is an internal moment of now. 
like all the stuff that's passed, even yesterday, I mean, yeah, we had our meeting, you and I had our meeting yesterday morning, and like now that's all gone. Mm-hmm. But it also is an eternal now because it's like, so there's now, we were in the meeting now, and we're here, you and I talking together now, and then anything that comes forward is now. And so it's a, um, it's, it's ever evolving, it's ever changing. And the thing is, if you want to move towards something that you really want in your life, you have to seize that moment now. There's no other time to seize that moment. You can't seize it tomorrow. You can't seize it the day after tomorrow. You can't, because there's being patient and then there's procrastinating. So there's, it, it can be dichotomous. And it, I see what you're asking mm-hmm. in the question because it's a little tricky to determining between the two. Now, you know, again, I'll come back to you as an example, just looking at what I've seen you do. Like I've, you and I met, what, it's been about eight months now, seven yeah, months? Yeah, September, I think, of last year. Or no, it was like middle of the summer, I think, is when I first visited BNI. So it was like July, I think. Yeah, so it's about eight months, right? Yeah. It's about, oh, wow, I guessed right off the bat. I didn't even mean to do that. Yeah. So eight months that we've known each other. But in the time that I've known you and what, uh, what I've watched you go through, You've had this idea and you've had this, and this is how it looks for me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like you've had this, I'm going to, I am doing this 3D printing and I'm making a business out of it. And you were working out of your parent, your bedroom in your parents' house. Is that right? Yeah. Basement. Yeah. Yeah. Your basement in your parents' house. Right. And now you've got like your own office, like you've got multiple machines and you're like, you're like, like you're doing it. Thank you. But you have... But when I see that, and this is so inspiring to me too, because to me, you're an example of what I want to create for people. Like this is, you know, I I got this vision. (laughs) I got this vision and I'm going for it. I'm doing this thing. Mm -hmm. So there's not a whole lot of pause. You didn't say, oh, well, maybe I'll look into that tomorrow. Maybe I'll, you know, watch TV for now and, and, you know, Mm. get distracted by, I mean, and I'm just making that up. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically what I had thought was is, I found myself, especially like I had technically founded the business of 2019, like the summer, and I created like a Facebook page and I bought my first printer like April of my senior year of high school. And it was like this tiny little thing. And for people that know 3D printing, it's called a monoprice mini delta. It had like a build volume of like a hundred millimeter circle. And then it was like 150 tall, like really tiny printer. Mm-hmm. and I had printed some cool stuff, and in high school, we had 3D printers, and my cousin, who really, you know, told me, she's like, we need to do this business, I'm like, all right, cool, and I sort of was like, oh, yeah, I have my own business, and I was, wasn't making any money with it, and I was sort of doing, like, keychains and stuff like that, a little niche stuff, not really making a bunch of money, and I, I mean, I'm still not making crazy amounts, but, like, I did that up until, like, February, mm-hmm. and then I then I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to incorporate it because then, you know, I can sort of push myself since it's an actual business to try to make more sales. And I incorporated it February 27th of 2020. And then, um, obviously like two weeks later, the whole world came to a screaming halt. Mm -hmm. But the great thing about 3d printing is it can be used for anything. And, um, it sort of made me want to do it more because I was at home and I was totally unmotivated to do online school. 
the only reason why I like school is because I was meeting people and I could go to campus and I honestly enjoyed, enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then we went online. I'm like, screw this. Like, this is stupid. And I was found myself every morning getting up and playing destiny on my Xbox and <laughs> for hours with, with a couple of my friends. And I'm just like, really? Like, this is what I'm going to be doing. I mean, right. I'm not really going to school right now because it's online. It's a joke. And I'm just sitting here spending money on video games and I wasn't working because I worked at the car wash and they were totally like, they got, they were only giving people hours that were full time and they only got like a day a week because they were only open like two days a week because of COVID. And I'm just like, all right, you know, I need to put more time. So instead of getting up every morning, I would, you know, research 3D printers. I would find ways to, you know, help market. And I had no clue what I was doing. I hadn't the slightest clue. And, um, I sort of did that until school ended and then I was introduced and then sort of what brought my business to the next level was Sherry Curran. Getting you into BNI. Yes. She got me into the chamber mm-hmm. and then she got me introduced to BNI and sure, you know, throughout my membership with BNI, I've gotten business from people, you know, like you and I got business from Javon and Jeremy Walsh and everything. And, but the, the, the thing I will forever, you know, take as a takeaway from that, even if I left tomorrow, it'd be the things that I've been taught by the members like you, Jeremy Walls, Jeremy Von Fly, all those people, Larry Fish, and like, like those lessons that they taught me how to run a business, how to make business decisions and things like that are priceless. And that's mm-hmm. what makes BNI worth it for me because I think Jane Dyer said it. She's like, if you don't have an HR department, if you need somebody to talk to about business, that's what makes BNI awesome. And that's what's really catapulted my business to the next level. Not necessarily getting referrals from people in the group, just how to build the business because everybody has been there at one point. So, I mean, that's sort of like the shortened version of, you know, what's been going on, you know, and how I started my business, but there's been a huge uproar. Like I'm not, my business isn't really that original. There's a huge uproar of this and I love it of like 3d printing and hobbyist level because they're so affordable, you know, Mm -hmm. like the most expensive printer I have is only, you know, 1300 bucks. Like that's not bad. So like it's, it's anybody can get into it, you know, Mm -hmm. who has a full-time job Mm -hmm. and, and everybody finds that one niche product that they go and just, mass produce you know to a certain extent mass produce but like there's this youtuber who did um who did mail mailbox flags right oh really yeah and that's how he got started and it catapulted his business he was able to buy more printers he started a youtube channel and like there's a bunch of little products that you can make with your 3d printer and then just sell a bunch of them that sort of fuels your motivation because you're like oh like i'm starting to see a little bit money here Mm -hmm. and and you can use that as sort of like a platform like I'm trying to do on social media side because a lot more people are getting into 3D printing. I mean, excuse me, uh, this company called Creality that's based out of, geez, excuse me, China, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, just sold like, they sold hundreds of thousands of 3D printers across the world. Okay. Yeah. So, but but the I like to compare it to sort of like, well, I probably shouldn't talk about that, but like 
people that already have 3D printers are buying more 3D printers like me. And then you have the people that are buying one and just starting to get into it. And it's just like, like there's a company, I'm, I'm not sure, but the guy's called Galactic Armory. And he just 3D prints like Star Wars stuff. He has like 50 3D printers. Wow. In a garage. That's impressive. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like my dream. And that guy is awesome. I watch his channel a lot. But yeah, I mean, like prototyping and things like that is really starting to come down in pricing because of these printers. It's not all industrial anymore. And I worked for a great company in Quonset, and they've taught me a lot about business. And I forgot to even say that. I did an internship from May of last year to March of this year Mm -hmm. at a company called R&D Technologies in Quonset, and they do industrial 3D printing. And those guys are awesome. If you, you know, I don't want to compete with them because of what they've done. Like that's like, I want to work with them because they're just amazing people there. And they taught me a lot about my, you know, how to run business and 3d printing in general. Cause I had no clue about the industrial side of 3d printing until I worked until I worked for them. Okay. So yeah, but I, you're my guest. So I'm going to stop talking. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I just, I just keep on talking like like, and I won't shut up. <laughs> so yeah, I don't remember what we were talking about before that, but you were asking about the value of a college, yes, college education. College education. And, so uh, the yeah. need for that. And, and, you know, and I set you up in fairness, I set you up to talk because, uh, because I was talking about the point of having a passion. Yeah. Now, so, you know, I, one of the things I can talk about, uh, briefly, I ha- have permission to talk about the story a little bit, although not mentioning the person but um you know uh, one of my clients has come to me and when you ask about like what's it take what's it what's a change take what's it what's it mean what's it matter um this person came to me they were uh they were at the point where they were just i was the last stop before going on to antidepressant medication like they were really uh really at a low point in their lives and mm-hmm. they had had antidepressant medication experience and didn't want that, but at the time they were agoraphobic, like would not leave the house, couldn't go places that they didn't know about, anything like that. Um, person actually was a smoker for uh, 40 years, and within less than a year of working with me, they became tobacco-free. Wow. And is and two years later almost, it's uh, just coming up on two-year anniversary from being completely tobacco-free still after 40 years which to me is just phenomenal yeah and then um as a result of getting that piece of life taken care of getting rid of all the chemical stuff that was really binding her and holding her back she got to a place where she was actually able to leave a job that she was feeling dissatisfied with that was undervaluing her and she has set up her own business training dogs all around the state she drives all over the state of rhode island and Mm -hmm. agoraphobic driving all over the state by herself like the people's houses she doesn't know that's a great story that's like that's powerful and she's just taking on a leadership in her uh spiritual community i know this like that's that's a huge deal for a person who uh who is agoraphobic and she's yeah. just getting into a place right now where she's really reaching for some education so she can get towards some coaching of her own uh, sorts. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I know I, cause I had 3d printed that Eiffel tower and I, and I don't know if you can talk about this, but I'd, I'd love to hear about the side of the, your business where you travel to different parts of the world. 
I know that's kind of tough because of COVID now, but when you did do it, so I don't know if you want to speak on that. So, well, yeah, no. So this is, so as, uh, so, you know, I talked to you in the beginning of this about, you know, going out of this place where I was feeling desperate for my life. And, and, you know, when I give my talks, I, I do talks, I'm doing online talks on a regular basis. I've got one coming up on Monday, as a matter of fact. Um, so, uh, and I do in-person workshops when, and actually, I'm, I guess I'm just about ready. I think things are opening up. I might be able to do something in mm. person again soon, which is really exciting to yeah. me. Yeah. Because one always does better with that. In any case, when I'm telling, my, when I give the workshop, I talk about the fact that, so from that, I've gotten to the point where, you know, as the person who's owning an entrepreneur, owning my own coaching business, my most highly invested VIP clients, excuse me, come with me on a trip to the south of France. You know, we go to spend a week in the south of France and I spend that week spent doing deep dive work into these principles and we talk about life transformation occurring and it sets them up in a great space to do that but we also include some time of course experiencing french culture taking in french wonderful french food and all these different restaurants in this little town outside of marseille and doing some stand-up paddle boarding in the mediterranean sea so for me this is combining my three three favorite things in the world which is coaching and helping people and france french culture because i love everything french mm -hmm. and stand-up paddle boarding which is absolutely one of my favorite things to do in the world yeah. so it's like and when I talk about it, I say that not to impress people. Like, I don't want to impress you with that. It's to impress upon people the fact that if I can do that, if I can have this dream come true in my life, then you can too. Like, whatever your dream is, whatever, however it seems, however unreachable or far-fetched it may seem. Yeah. Like, you know, and even when I start uh, that, that dream, I didn't even know I had when I had started the coaching. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because um, I I honestly like I've heard of sort of your business before, but I never really met somebody that did it. Um, and it's great to you know because it's another great thing about BNI is that you meet people that you probably never would have met before. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I guess we're sort of giving I'm sort of giving BNI free sponsorship here. So if BNI wants to sponsor this, uh, <laughs> go right ahead. Um, <laughs> but there you go. yeah, I mean it. You know, I, I couldn't be more thankful for, you know, that organization, you know, and the people in our group in Wakefield. And, uh, I mean, I just released that video with Jan, and I'd love to do more videos with people um, in, you know, that sort of working together aspect because, you know, 3D printing is so versatile. Um, and something I forgot to mention is that, you know, during the pandemic, I actually 3D printed masks. And, yeah, so basically I, I printed them flat on the build plate and then use the soldering iron to melt the plastic together. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they were flexible, so it was sort of like one size fit all. And I could put, like, company names on the front of them. Like uh, like the first guest I had on, Kurt Harrington, I made him some for his guys, and it said something fishy on the front. <laughs> yeah, and they were blue. Awesome. And it, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I think we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, and it'll be instantaneous for you guys, but we'll be right back. Hey there. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I just want to take this chance to tell you to share the podcast on your social media platforms. Link it on your Instagram story. Follow Knowledge is Power underscore Rhode Island on Instagram. 
and leave a review on Apple Podcast if you're listening on that platform. So thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy the rest of the episode. It's all good. All righty. We are back, and that was instantaneous for you guys, but Benjamin is going to talk a little bit more about uh, you know, his work life before owning his own business and his background a little bit more. So can so thank you, Max. Yeah, no. So uh, so something about me, you know, that uh, not everybody knows, as a matter of fact. And, and since you asked the question, like, what am I, what would I like to talk about? Well, there's, you know, there was a time in my life I was, my young adulthood, I was doing uh, painting houses and uh, building houses, framing houses, and that wasn't work that I was in love with really too much. Um, I had studied some theater at Community College of Rhode Island and uh, was doing pretty well with that, but I. But I, I didn't understand how I could really move forward and advance and make that a career, and I didn't believe I could. And just like Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, because I thought I couldn't, I couldn't. Um, although, having said that, I was building houses down in Tennessee, and uh, I was like, there's just got to be some way I can get involved with some theater or something down here. And I actually, I, I, was, I had learned to juggle clubs while I was, <laughs> I was ju- I'm, I'm a juggler, it's true. That's more fun to show than it is to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Can you still juggle? Oh yeah. Yeah. I juggle. I juggle. I juggle all kinds of stuff: clubs, knives, fire. Have you juggled? Okay, fire. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty cool. Fire is fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, maybe cool. we, if we get back in person and B and I, that can be like the the thing we start off with is juggle. <laughs> Set something on fire. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But yeah, sorry. Continue on. It's <laughs> all good. Yeah. So anyhow, I uh, I I end up uh, doing this construction work, and I'm I had been living in Tennessee for four and a half. Actually, while I was living in Tennessee, I got hired by Tennessee Dance Theater to be a stage manager. And you know, this is about how the principles of the that I'm teaching people had started working in my life even before I understood what they were and before I understood how they were working. Because I had this thing like I wanted to do some professional theater work and. There I get hired by, hired by Tennessee Dance Theater to, to be a stage manager. The first thing they asked me is, well, would you like to go to France with us for a week and stage manage in Paris for a week? I'm like, yes, please. Don't hurt me. Just twist gentle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, so I went to France for the first time in my life, and I was in my, I don't know, I was in my 30s. Anyhow, I fell in love with France. I fell in love with Paris. I fell in love with Fran- French culture, and I, I had this idea, you know, I want to live there sometime. And I, this is kind of backfill for the fact that I end up going to France and studying to become a French teacher. Now, I brought home with me from France two prints of Paris, and I stuck them up on my bedroom wall, and I just kept looking at them, and I kept saying, you know, I'm going to live in France someday. I know I am. I'm going to live there. I'm going to live there for at least a year. I have to live there for at least a year. I didn't know how it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any idea. I, you know, you could like from where I was, you couldn't have made it happen. Like you couldn't, you can't connect the dots. But I ended up up here in New England working one winter, and I threw my back out, and it was like the fourth or fifth time I had done that in a few years. And I was out on workman's comp, and I was like, I just can't keep doing this. This is not. Yeah. This is not fulfilling work. I'm like, well, what am I going to do from here? I'm like, well. Let's go back to school. I'm like, well, what am I going to go back to school for? I'm like, well, let's teach something. And I, you know, long story short, it was French because French was, I looked at, was the best, the great, the 
class in school that I got my highest grades in all the way throughout, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know really. I, I mean, I, you know, this took a little figuring out. And I was like, well, if I do that, that means I could go to France to study French too, which started to get into my mind. Uh, but I still didn't know that it could really happen. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and actually, I went to school up here, to, up the road at URI, and studied French there. And they've got one of the best French programs in the country. I have to put a plug in for them because wow. it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, they had um, they have the the largest number of French students I think in all of the country. Really, their, I didn't know that in their program. Yes. Wow, I didn't know that. Huh, that's interesting. And uh, and they've got a great department, uh, great teachers. Uh, actually, a couple of them have retired that were there when I was there, but I'm sure they have filled in with others um, as as time has gone on. And and they could absolutely had boasting rights for that. They also, um, you know, had exchange student program. And you know, I started my first semester at school there, and I was like, "You have an exchange program?" Like I was like, "What?" And so I filled out, you know, I did all the application work to get myself uh, into the exchange student program. And I spent a year in France studying French, which was great. Wow. And again, you know, way back when I left Paris, did that look like a possibility for me? Yeah. No. Yep. <laughs> you know, was I, was I, was that something that was going to happen? Could I have forced that to happen? Not so much. But, you know, there's a thing of just like with you and your business, like I got the idea. I'm like, well, I'm going to be a French teacher. And, of course, the best way to learn language is to immerse yourself in the lang- in the language culture. So I was like, I'm going to France. And, like, it, I just put all my, you know, I put my, my power and my energy into it. I'm like, I did all the things. I made all the steps. I applied for the financial aid. I did, you know, I made the application. I did the interviews. I, you know. And when I was talking to the teachers about becoming a teacher, they're like, oh, yeah, you, definitely. You know, like it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So would you say that you, um, I don't know, this is kind of, but like off topic of the conversation, but what was it like in France? Like, do you like the culture, like overall better there than here? Or do you think? You know, I still am in love with France when you yeah. get right down to it. The culture is, uh, the culture is just it's a very different culture. Mm-hmm. The, the, so, so there are several things that happened for me in France. You know, um, one of them is that do we think of every culture as being so different from ours. And yet underneath all the cultures, there is still the unification of the fact that we're all human. We have yeah. the same basic needs. We, ha- you know, we all want good food. We of all want, we all want nice shelter. We all want, you know, care for our families. We all want, uh, you know, we have those same basic human desire. That's what we are. Mm-hmm. But we have this idea, and I think particularly as Americans, where we get this idea that this is the thing, and we've got, and it's that's. But that's not true either, because it doesn't matter where you are in the world, as long as we've got this thing, and it's only what's right here in front of us. We think our thing is the thing. Yeah. But there's no separation. We are all one, right? Yes. So. Um, some of the things I love best about France was that uh, when I moved there the first time, I had a dog, and I was able to take my dog with me. And while I was living there, I took my dog everywhere that I went, which yep. was really wonderful. She came on the metro. She came into the cafes. She came into the shops. Like She was everywhere with yep. me. 
Um, I love that. I love the simplicity of living because I didn't own a car in France, nor did I drive, nor did I think I wanted to drive in France either, by the way. That was a pretty scary prospect yeah. for me. Yeah, opposite side of the road. No, no, it was the same side of the road, just crazy drivers. Is the, wheel, <laughs> is the wheel on the other side? No, England, England. It's Ireland. only like English, like yeah. what, what used to be English colonies, right? Uh, so like Australia and England, like the UK. What I know for certain is the UK, Ireland, and Scotland. What I yeah. know, that's what I know for certain. I don't know if there are others as well, but I yeah, know could be in India for that matter. India, so. yeah, yeah. I think could my, be. Yeah, my I'm dad has sure been to India been. a few times, and yeah, I think yeah. he said that he said there really is no left or right side of the road. You just drive. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of scary. Yeah. So Paris is like that. France was like that. I mean, there's, there's a, I say like that, but it's not. I mean, they have the right side of the road you drive on, but yeah, driving is scary. I mean, the first time that I rode with somebody in a car while I was living in France, it was a friend of mine who, uh, I was living in Orléans, which is about an hour and a half outside of Paris, and it's a city nonetheless. A little bit closer, yeah. And, uh, so, uh, so I'm li- I'm living there, and he wants to take me to show me this park. I need to do this. Yeah. Um, he wants to take me to show me this park. So I get in his car, and we're driving around, and you know these windy, curvy roads that we've got here. Yeah. Like, little windier, a little curvier, and he's driving those like at sixty miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and you know and we're going super narrow too. And right? they're narrow, and yeah. we're going around the bends. He's sliding over in the other lane, and he's you know, just leaning on his horn as he comes around the bend. I'm holding on to the bar. I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really looking forward to driving in France at all, which is funny because now that I take people to France, I do drive in France because in learning how to set that up, yeah. I had to go over and say, so what's it going to be if I drive in France? Because... I'm like, it's going to be me being the tour guide, right? Like, so, mm-hmm. um, so now I can drive in France, although I still do not want to drive in Paris. Yeah. Well, particularly because of uh, what they call L'Etoile, which is the intersection around the Arc de Triomphe, which yeah. is like eight major bu- busy roads coming into one intersection. And it's a it's road. A big roundabout. It's, it's yeah. a roundabout that's got six lanes. Oh, my God. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> How is there not 800 accidents there a day? I I don't know, and I don't want to find out. No. Really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it's an ancient city, and it wasn't built around infrastructure for roads like cars, right? So they had to adapt it. And yeah. it's like, it's just like, even if you go to like some of the older cities in the United States, it's not as bad because they're not as old, but like, it's sort of like, like down like old parts of Boston are really skinny, right? Like <laughs> stuff like that, but not nearly as bad as yeah. France. Well, I've heard it said about about the difference between New York and Boston. You know, New York's got the nice grid, it's like yeah. all up and down and then across and across and across because they want you to know where you are and yeah. then you look at a map of Boston and they say, Why? Because <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it was just it just happened it just sort of like oh we're gonna put a road here and there and then because to hell with you yeah you know? exactly yeah. good luck find your way yeah i don't <laughs> like driving there i mean i driven there when i first bought my car and it's a manual and i had to we were driving we were going to see hamilton in boston in boston nice we we're coming so you've from, seen that i'm a little jealous yeah i mean i'm not really a play person um, that was like the first one I've seen since like, you know, like the seventh grade field trip when we went and saw the Christmas Carol or whatever. But I was, 
I was impressed. You know, I was like, I was a little skeptical at first because I was like, I don't know what their sort of message was throughout the play. Um, but I, I definitely thought that the singing was cool and catchy. I'm mm-hmm. not really a hip hop person. I like country and rock mm-hmm. and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was catchy. It was good. The people are very talented. And mm-hmm. um, it wasn't like the main um, cast of Hamilton. Yeah, like the right. One on not Netflix. the original. Yeah, no. It was a diff. But there was one guy that was there that I've definitely seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember his name for the life of me. I couldn't but, tell you. Yeah. I haven't seen it, so I don't. I don't. I still haven't seen yeah. it. I, I've just heard the rave reviews, and I know yeah. that they were sold out on Broadway for a year out. Yeah. So, but but anyways, uh, we were coming off. It was going from ninety five to ninety three because that's what goes through the city, right? Ninety three. Yep. And I was merging, and my uncle's in the passenger seat, my cousins in the back, and like as soon as I merge, I somebody almost like sideswipes <laughs> i'm just like oh and there's traffic bumper to bumper and a, and a manual car and i'd only been driving stick for like eight months at that point so it was like clunk clunk, clunk. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and it's like yeah my experience in driving in boston wasn't that good so next time i went there which was last february um for a car show before covid um which is funny because like it was all touchy touchy everything and i didn't catch covid and it was they say it was still prevalent even in february before mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. all the shutdowns and stuff mm-hmm. but yeah it wasn't a great experience driving it and so we took the train to the car show and then we That's ubered okay. to the cuz the train station and then the convention center are literally like t- like a mile away from each other i think yeah so. i'm really familiar with boston my family's from the boston area i have okay. i have uh family history that goes all the way back to the American Revolution. I have a wow. great all the way back there who rode Paul Revere across the river the night of his midnight ride. And Really? Truth. That's awesome because, I mean, my my grandfather was, Scot- my on my mom's side, is Scottish. He passed away in 2002. And then my grandmother's 100% Italian. I love the, I like the Italian culture. Um, and then my dad's side is all European stuff so i don't really know but nice. but you know my great great grandparents came from italy okay and i'm not really sure about my grandfather's side i think it was the same for him it might have been like great 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 for me or something like that but mm-hmm. he was very proud of his scottish heritage mm-hmm. my uncle his son actually wore a kilt to his wedding oh wow yes and my my aunt um on on her wedding I wore a kilt, but I was like, I don't know, like seven or eight or something <laughs> like that. So I really had no choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, what yeah, are you going to do when they say jump this high, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's really cool, though, that your heritage goes back to that. I mean, I love American history. Yeah, have, so. um, and there was a great, I can't remember how many greats back there, but designed and built the dome on the State House in Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, right there in the uh, Boston Common and... Also, the kettle that hangs over Government Center. Have you been to Government Center? You know that? In Bo- in Massachusetts? In Boston, yeah. No, nah, I don't. I, I mean, I've only been Anyhow, to like... It's, it's a tea kettle that hangs out, and it's constantly steaming. Uh, yeah. One of my greats back there d- built that, too. Okay, and cool. And our family emblem is the top of uh, on top of Faneuil Hall, the cricket weather vane. So. Oh, okay. Little pieces of history that I, I'm yeah. proud of. Yeah, that's pretty cool, because... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have family history like that, but my, I love my family, so I couldn't be any, 
you know, luckier, you know, very supportive of me and my business too, you know, always trying to help me find ways to grow and make smart business decisions and stuff like that. So very lucky to have the family I have, but yeah. So, um, I guess something else I wanted to talk about was, um, modern day. I mean, I didn't really talk about this in the past two, um, podcast, but I want to delve in a little bit about marketing because your business isn't, I mean, it's, I feel like it'd be really tough to market, right? Because it's not something where people are like, I need help. Like, you know what I mean? People don't fall out of bed in the morning saying I need a life coach. Yeah. That, That is not something that happens all the time. But what does happen is that there's, you know, I talk about this frequently when I'm giving talks is that we have some longing and discontent and there's, you know, like, there's something that we want. We just, we know there's more for us. Like, you know, if you could put yourself in the story of when I was in the boatyard, like, have you ever had that experience where you're like, oh, I just wish there was more in my life. And, yeah. you know, it's it takes that kind of drive, takes that wanting for something different to really, to get the person to be at the place where they're like, you know, I, I want to do something different. I want it to be different. I want it to look different. I don't know what's going on and how do I do it? Yeah. That's, you know, and so for me, you know, when you ask about marketing for that, one of the best things I do is I, you've come in, you've visited my, uh, my morning mindset readings that I do on Facebook. Yes. That's give Benjamin a follow on Facebook, by the way. I'll, I'll link them in the YouTube post. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, I mean, I think it's worthwhile and really, you know, the principles that I teach and how this works uh, you know, the, it's one thing to get the principles alone and people can study this stuff and get some information, but if they're not taking action on the information, then it's just entertainment really Mm -hmm. when you get right down to it. And the thing about being a coach or having a coach is that you have somebody that you have accountability with. So, and so as a coach, I am the accountability partner. It's, you know, I'm the accountability partner with repeatable, reliable tools that help you get to where you want to go. And, uh, um, so how do I market? I mean, I try to get people, get in front of people, get a no like, and trust factor. How do I do that? I just try and put myself out there as much as I can. Yeah. I try and do some, th- you know. Like BNI. That's like perfect and I, for what? BNI, uh, absolutely, yes. And I love BNI for that, as a matter of fact. But, um, you know, I, I often offer events where I'm speaking uh, and when I'm doing them live, whether I'm doing them online, that's, you know, yeah, that's where somebody says, yeah, I think this guy might have something for me. Well, I guess from, you know, just looking in it, I guess it's really tough because for somebody to, to say to themselves, I need, I need you to help me be successful is like, it's not as much as, I mean, you could do as much marketing as you want and selling and saying, you know, you should probably talk to me if you have X, Y, Z issues or something like that. Um, and mm-hmm. I guess what it like 99% of your customers come to you. It's not like, yeah, no, yeah, that's absolutely true. So it's not like me where I reach out to people like, cause it, you don't know, you know what I mean? So that's really, t- I mean, it'd be really tough. I mean, just looking in like, to, yeah, from, yeah. from the vantage point that you're talking about, I understand what you're saying and it certainly can be because I can tell you, <clears throat> I can tell you the difference for me in what I'm doing. Like if I'm spending a lot of energy just doing a lot of mechanical stuff, that's not what gets me the 
clients. It's yeah. when I'm actually putting my vision on that I am the successful coach and yeah. I'm like able to see myself doing the work that I'm doing. This is what I teach people to do. And you have you have to be able to step into the vision of living the life you want mm -hmm. in order for it to come to you yeah and i guess all that like the lives you do and a lot of those webinars that you i mean yeah you did webinars right yeah yeah and and stuff like that is perfect because you can put the content out there mm -hmm. and then people who want to find it will find it because they can just search it on google or something like that and it's there for them and mm -hmm. it's sort of an automatic introduction mm -hmm. i guess which is perfect because then you're not like walking up to people saying hey you look like you have an issue with your life you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is, yeah, yeah. which is never yeah. very effective, no, by the way. No, <laughs> People, and when you do that, they're like, what do you want? Why are you talking to me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and no, I'm fine. Leave me yeah. alone. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but cool. Well, it looks like it's almost, you know, probably been like 45, 50 minutes. But I, I, I really like to tie things up with if you uh, wanted to leave with, you know, this one sort of life lesson one quote this is what you want to be remembered for what would that be one quote that i would want to be remembered for. yeah because i know it's loaded but like i think it's that is everybody everybody has a different vantage point on life and it's great to hear like the tagline of everybody's story sort of so i'll tell you interesting so you know you're asking about one thing so i and there's so many different aspects because you know i'm a reiki healer i'm a i'm a i just became uh certified to be a transcendence facilitator which is a body movement energy healing with ourselves which is a fascinating experience for me i was not expecting that a year ago that i would become this person but and i say that because my business name is a creative healing place mm -hmm. right and in getting the uh, title for that name, you know, I, uh, I think of my, uh, uh, I have kept it as a life coach because when I look at what happens for people when they really f start stepping into their lives, into the dreams that they would love living, what happens is that they heal. They become the person that they were meant to be all along to begin with. And so, there is a healing that takes place even if they didn't know they needed it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and the tagline I put behind a creative healing place is return to yourself and return to yourself because, you know, so oftentimes we're stuck in these jobs that we don't like and we think we, we have to be here, we have to work this many hours, we have to, you know, or we're in relationships where we've got people who um, who are, you know, dictating our worth and we're allowing them to dictate our worth. And my whole thing is to get people to step into em their empowerment, their own personal empowerment. And, uh, you know, it's not that I want to have a lot of students following me. That's not the goal. My, my desire is to help empower the most number of people to live lives that are really full, rich lives. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is that if there were more people on the planet, and her ha, who is it, Howard Thurman says this, he says, if you want to know what to do with your life, you said, uh, what it, discover what it is that makes you passionate, and then whatever it is that makes you passionate, go out and do that, because what the world needs is more people who are doing that. Yeah. That's what the world needs. Yeah. And, and truthfully, if the world were full of people doing that, we'd have a much happier world. Yeah, because... And a lot more peace. 
Exactly. That's perfect. You know, I, I often say throughout, you know, this podcast, success doesn't mean money. And a lot of people entail those two things. They say, well, that guy's really successful. But um, I look up to Steve Jobs. I love that guy. Um, and the beginning of his life, he was worth several hundred million dollars, you know, by the time he was 40. Or, and the guy was miserable. A right. jerk, <laughs> you know, right. like right. he was successful with money, but he had a daughter who he didn't say was his daughter. And his the, the girl who was the daughter's mother, he really loathed her. And it was like, it sucks. Yes. It sucks. And that guy was not successful. Right. You know, he had a lot of money, but didn't mean he was successful. But I really like him because uh, throughout, I feel like he matured as a person. Has mm-hmm. towards the end of his life because I love the Steve Jobs movie with Michael Fassbender. It's like I watch it all the time; it gives me chills. I love it. The, it what's the movie? I haven't the, heard of. It's Michael Fassbender. Um, the Steve Jobs movie came out in like 2015. Okay. It was like because there was the Ashton Kutcher one, and that one was bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then and then they Michael Fassbender did one. It was awesome. Okay. And yeah, it's like, but like. I love that movie and I love Steve Jobs because I think that movie perfectly entrails sort of how he progressed as a person because at the end of the movie, he I mean, the girl's like like just graduating high school and going into college. He finally comes to grip to how bad of a person he was and he balances his business life and he starts to become super successful and you see that he ma- didn't master, but he became a much better family person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you saw his business. He came out with the iMac, the iPod, the iPhone. All after he really um, became a better family person. Right. And sure. that bounced back. Because if you look before that, there was the original Macintosh and the Lisa. And those things are major flops. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he made amends with his family. And then boom. Well, and there's, you know, and there's a lot of truth to that. And that, that's part of the work that I do with people. You have to like, get into some healing stuff sometimes. Yeah. I mean, people get into this work, they have no idea. They're like, there's, you know, there are places we're stuck and we're stuck for a reason. And it's yeah. primarily because we keep ourselves stuck. And, you know, there's things to grow through. But, you know, the principles of wealth, when you look at people like Napoleon Hill or uh, Andrew Carnegie or... Um, you know, Wallace Waddles, like all the things that they teach, taught throughout the ages are the things, are the principles that are still still valuable today. Actually, you know, I'll tell you this, st- I don't know if you've heard this, but the uh, Andrew Carnegie was known at hi- in his time as being the wealthiest person in the world, right? But it's also because of Andrew Carnegie that we have libraries as we know them like any town in the united states of america that has a library we owe that to andrew carnegie and why because he spent the first half of his life making his wealth and then the second half of his life giving the wealth away Mm -hmm. and he hired napoleon hill to uh to write the to be to write about the code that makes wealthy people wealthy now, this is an interesting story, and it's a story I use for teaching. If you don't mind, I'll share it with you here. Yeah, you know, we of course. Yeah, we got, we, got t- we got time. I said that, but we have plenty of time. We can go as long okay. as we want. Because here's the thing. Napoleon Hill was a newspaper reporter in his early 20s, right? And he went to go interview. I have to do this. Yeah, Because <laughs> it, it's just not that sensitive. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Yeah. It's good. Um, so Napoleon Hill uh, 
was a newspaper reporter in his early 20s, and he got the opportunity to interview Andrew, Andrew Carnegie, and he went out to Andrew Carnegie's house for a weekend and because Andrew Carnegie granted him that. But he didn't realize that he was being interviewed by Andrew Carnegie also at the same time to see if he would be fit person to do this job. Now, Andrew Carnegie invited Napoleon Hill to spend the weekend. He's after an hour talking with him. He's like, why don't you stay with me for the weekend? We can spend all day tomorrow and, you know, maybe have dinner Sunday evening and call it good. And Andrew and Napoleon Hill was like, great, I'd love to do that. And at the very end of it, uh, Andrew Carnegie invites Napoleon Hill into his office and he says, so I've got an offer I'd like to make you. He says, and Andrew Carnegie knows one thing for himself, and that is that this is a decision that must be made quickly. He says, Napoleon Hill, I'm going to offer you my Rolodex of 500 wealthiest people in the world, and I'll arrange interviews for you with them, and I'll let you make sure that you get meetings to interview them and talk to them as long as you're willing to write about what you find that makes them wealthy because when you interview these people, he said, I'm not going to pay you a penny for this. I'm not going to pay you one penny. But I assure you, if you interview these people, you will become wealthy because you will discover the secrets about what makes all these people wealthy. And so Napoleon Hill's sitting there. Andrew Carnegie has just finished the offer, and Napoleon Hill doesn't know this, but he clicks a stopwatch underneath the table, and he gives him 60 seconds to answer. And he knows that if Napoleon Hill waits till 61, 62, 63 seconds, the offer's off the table. Because one thing Andrew Carnegie understands is that people who make, who have wealth, they make decisions quickly and they follow through with them. 33 seconds, Napoleon Hill says, I'll do it. Now, here's a man who is barely making money to pay his rent as a newspaper reporter. He's not being offered a penny to do this, and yet he says, I'll do it. Now, Napoleon Hill wrote the book Think and Grow Rich, which I don't know if you've heard of yet or if you haven't read it. No. Actually, that's a book you ought to read. Okay. And I would recommend that to anyone yeah. in your audience members, too. Think and Grow Rich. All the wealthiest people in the ro- world have read that book. And Andrew Carnegie made approximately a 1,000 millionaires. Napoleon wow. Hill made thousands of millionaires. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a great story. Um, but... Yeah, is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Uh, you know, I could go on and on yeah. and on and on, but I'm I don't have a focus point right yeah. now because <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Well, but uh, I, I, you know, I the thing is, I've got plenty to teach and plenty to tell, and that's that. Sorry, I'm letting no, the microphone okay. go away yeah. too. I have plenty to teach, plenty to tell, but this is and this is my passion, and I love yeah, to do this. So awesome. I mean, as you can tell, I hope. Yeah, definitely. Here, so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a great conversation, and I definitely appreciate you making the hike down here to the country in Richmond, Rhode Island, from <laughs> from the big city up there in Warwick. For, for those of you guys don't know, he drove basically half the state to get here, but you got to remember it's Rhode Island. Yeah, but uh, it's been great. Uh, so that's about it, guys. And if you have any questions or want to be on the podcast, or possibly want to sponsor it, email me at knowledgeispowerri at gmail.com. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to check out all the links below in the description. And if you're on Spotify, make sure to follow and share it with all your friends because I'm going to have a lot more great guests just like Benjamin on talking about their life experiences. So thanks for listening, guys, and I'll catch you in the next one.